This is an NBA Sound System presentation of Basketball Jones with Mark Jones, produced by Hall Pass Media. To watch the entire video series, visit hallpassnetwork.com. Now, Mark Jones. And welcome everyone to the Basketball Jones presented by Hall Pass Media. I'm Mark Jones this week, chopping it up with Utah Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Quinn, thanks a lot for joining us. And first off, before we get started, I want to thank all the first responders out there, the doctors, the ICU doctors who are working on the front line, who are efforting a vaccine during this COVID-19 stay-at-home order period that we're all under. And uh, we appreciate all the work that you do for us. We appreciate the the truck drivers who are keeping our food supply chain uh, alive and getting our necessities to us. Uh, Thank you very much. Them and the uh, youth sports operators. Want to give a quick shout out to them. Uh, Youth sports has been virtually shut down during this time. And Parents especially, as well as the athletes, feeling the impacts of that. We hope that they'll be back sooner rather than later. Quinn, thanks a lot for dropping in on us, man. We appreciate you. Always, always doing well. We, uh, I was getting ready to see you in Vegas again this year, but that's that doesn't look to be in the cards, at least not not summer league right now. So yeah, yeah. Who knows? Summer league might turn into fall league with any luck, and we can still run a few. But uh, exactly. Off today by. Um, you know, the talk for the last five weeks has been the documentary The Last Dance. And after watching episodes nine and ten on Sunday night, I want to get what your final impression was overall about what indelible image is left with you regarding Michael Jordan and that Chicago Bulls team. Well, I think, you know, to the, the balance that, that he found um, between the, the the competitiveness necessary to, to win and to win on the highest level, which clearly, um, you know, he had had such a feel for because he did it, um, and, and coupling that with, you know, how you lead, you know how you lead a team and, and where are those lines that um, you hear guys talk about the things that needed to be said and needed to be done and how he was willing to sometimes say the things that people necessarily didn't want to hear. Um, but in hindsight, you look back and I, th- I think that, you know, you hear his teammates talk about how essential that was in many respects. And um, it, it, it also struck me that there were a number of times when he referred to kind of the evolution of their team and the evolution of the program from the time that he first got there. Right. And all the things that he went through um, personally and, and not by himself per se, but, you know, the, the distance teams they had to get through, the adjustments that he had to make, and it finally culminated. It just didn't happen overnight. You know, there was an investment that happened over a period of time to to form the foundation of that team that was, was able to win. And then to have it happen again. Um, I thought the, the, you know, the whole Space Jam – of filming and what went on there was fascinating to me and just the level of commitment and investment I think for anyone whether you be a player or a coach in any walk of life um, what he was willing to put himself through in order to win and, and, and one more thing I'll say that maybe resonated as much as anything to me um, from a leader standpoint is I think at one point he said 
I never asked anyone to do anything that I was not willing to do. Right. And to me, right. the credibility and, and the commitment associated with that is just undeniable. Yeah. The, the, you mentioned uh, the process that they go through and Phil Jackson, a real integral part of that. I found it fascinating because I, I, I zoned out. I forgot that Dennis Rodman took off and did that wrestling show in the midst of the NBA Finals. And yeah. I thought about the way that Phil was able to bring him back into the group almost seamlessly with no internal drama. What does that say about the impact that a coach can make on a team in terms of its connectivity? Well, it's, it's the ultimate, you know, in, in all the different – um, personalities. Uh, you see it on the court as far as guys' roles and how a team gets molded. And then, you know, it's it's great for us to be able to see the things that happen off the court, in the locker room, on the bus, all those different moments where teams get shaped. And I think the thing that you never know, you know, I don't think Coach could have anticipated that. Um, the, the, those those situations are so different in so many ways. Every season uh, provides different challenges, but I, I think the ability to adapt right. is to me the thing that you saw. And who knows what you're adapting to? That's obviously one of the most unique things you could think of. Um, but even the way that they adapted year to year from a motivational standpoint, what they were trying to do, and um, you know, the, the some of the players changing. Um, and just understanding how, you know, you coach everybody differently right. and every year. And, and that, you know, sometimes you, you think, well, I had that player last year. But a lot of times you, you may coach them differently the following year because, you know, life's not static and a team is static. And, um, it's almost a living, breathing thing, you know, when you have a team um, that's comprised of, of some different players year to year. Um, and over time, and being able to kind of find that, that pulse of a group, um, that nobody was better at that than him, and we got to see it close. Yeah, the the, the entire spiritual element of uh, his approach to uh, galvanizing a team I, I found fascinating, and uh, mm-hmm. it reminded me of some of the stories that some of his players told me during that time because I, I was mm-hmm. there for a lot of it, covering it, um, how it really kept those guys together, the, the times where they would – sit in a dark room and, and do 15 minutes of meditation and uh, practice their presence. Um, you know, seeing Phil um, walk through the locker room with incense to, you know, create the right vibration in his own terms uh, is something that, uh, you know, goes well beyond the sphere of X's and O's. And uh, I want to ask you as we wrap up the whole thing on The Last Dance, what, what have you ever used any kind of unorthodox methods along those lines? Uh, the mental approach, um, you know, outside of the lines of the court. It's I, I think, you know, it's got to be authentic. Um, right. And you know, there there have been various times that when I was coaching college at, at Missouri, and you know, we always try to come up with something, you know, motivational. There's only a couple games a week in the NBA. It's a little harder. Um, but I can recall one time where there was a bunch of, I think we were kind of Kansas State, and we were in the locker room before the game, and there had been a couple articles 
that had been written that weren't, you know, real too positive about our group. And then there was a box score that we had from the previous time that we played them. And we had a little, you know, a little metal garbage can and put that stuff in there, you know, kind of crumpled it up, threw it in there. Yeah. And it took some lighter fluid and dumped that in there. And <laughs> then we got the match and threw it in there and it was like, Whoa. and I think I, I, I had to play it off because I think I singed all my, my hair. I, I, I escaped. But, you know, there was you, you. You try to come up with things that that matter, and um, you know, in the NBA, it's a little. I can't divulge stuff that we've done in the NBA yet because it's it's too current. So we'll have to wait a while to get some of that. But sure, I sure. think the main thing with that is you've got to believe it, and sometimes it's just sometimes it's comedy too. I mean, right. just to give perspective and figuring out what guys want, what guys need, and sometimes levity. As much as anything, if it's real, players appreciate it. Yeah, and it's funny. You bring up a good point. It's got to be authentic and organic because one thing's for sure, you can't fool NBA players. You mentioned Missouri as part of your yeah. basketball journey. Mercer Island, uh, player of the year in Washington, Duke, uh, playing professionally, uh, coaching in college, the G League, uh, the NBA, Russia, uh, uh, NBA as an assistant and head coach. Um, that's quite the itinerant journey when you look at your travels around the basketball globe. Uh, you know, from L.A. with the Clippers in the beginning, Cheska, Moscow, uh, back to Atlanta, and then currently with the Utah Jazz. Uh, you've seen a lot of different corners of the basketball globe, Quinn. Yeah. Um, how have your travels, your, your width of experience, uh, not just domestically, but internationally. How have they impacted you, the way you coach, your philosophy, just the way you see the game? Yeah. Well, first, when I, I saw that list, uh, we moved at the, at the end of that list. I'm glad my wife's not watching right now because we moved every year for about five years, going yeah. from place to place, which um, you can be pretty transient in this profession. I, I remember getting the job at Jazz and going through, you know, the ouch. Uh, tenure of an NBA head coach at that point was 2.3 years. So when I got through my third year, I thought, you know, this is definitely gravy. And I've been here longer than I have been in any place in a long time. But I've been lucky, Mark, you know, from the standpoint that, you know, some of that <clears throat> wasn't necessarily, you know, planned out. Um, one of the really unique things, um, just to move ahead a little bit, is Towards the end of that, you know, my year when I was in the, the D League, um, now the G League, which I continually forget, that, that was my, my first year um, in that league, and it was a first-year job. And then when I went to Philadelphia with Doug Collins, it was his first year. Um, and then I went to the Lakers with Mike Brown, and it was his first year. And then when I went to Russia with Edomir Messina, it was his, although he'd been there before, it was his first year. And then the same thing when I went to Atlanta with Bud, it was another first year. So I literally had an opportunity over an extended period of time to see that first year and kind of understanding, you know, how important that year is from a foundational standpoint. And, you know, you hear the expression, um, not skipping steps. Um, right. And then I was also fortunate to have a chance to reflect on, um, the other jobs that I'd had, and specifically, you know, Missouri. And there was a time when, you know, when I was, the, after I was at Missouri, there was a year where I really 
debated where I wanted to keep coaching. And I had had that same kind of question when I first got into the business um, at Duke. And then it came up again for different reasons. And I think when I did decide to get back into Austin, um, the Spurs actually own the team. I really still wasn't entirely sure that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and there was something about the, you know, the purity of D-League. Um, there was no fans. Nobody in Austin, Texas watched basketball anyway, at least not the, the Toros. Um, Dell Demps was the GM at the time. And, you know, the best thing, I, I didn't have an office, which worked out fine for me. Everybody was always apologizing. Quinn, you need an office. I'd be like, oh, you know. So Dell and I used, used to meet Starbucks, you know. That was that was the spot. And, but you, you start to really appreciate what you're doing just for its essence. And, uh, I was really, the years I spent there, um, were formative for me at a later stage in coaching and probably drew more from that. I, I used to tell RT, I think I have the best job because I get to be a head coach. Um, I get to make mistakes you know, I know him, but no one else talks about him. And then I also get to be with the Spurs during really select important times of the year and, and learn from from Pop and their staff. And so that that period um, was really – it's one I, you know, I, I think about it sometimes. And think, you know what, I'm not so sure I wouldn't go back. Wow. You know, and maybe that wouldn't – fit right now but it um it, there was i said there was taylor jenkins the coach at memphis was one of my assistants awesome. um zach guthrie who's one of my assistants now um you know was was a, a freshman at university of texas and started taking all his classes in the afternoon so he could be at practice in the mornings and eventually i started taking him on the road i didn't even think about it right at that point he was missing classes and um, just good people to be around, you know, the, the layovers, we'd fly through Dallas and there was a couple spots that I would just hole up in and start taking notes and writing plays. And, um, Taylor's job was to make sure I didn't miss the flight. <laughs> right. um, the door was shut half the time, but yeah. I know I'm, I'm, I'm bumping around, but I, I think, you know, that, that experience, you never know what you're going to draw from. Um, you know, the guys that I was with in Philly, Lou Williams, Drew Holiday, and Andre Vidala, and Elton Brand, um, I learned so much from players. You know, I think that's one of the things as coaches we, you know, we can learn from each other, but I've always felt like, you know, there's such a unique perspective that players are willing to give you and teach you if you're listening. Um, I certainly didn't expect to go to Russia, Mark. Uh, we were at practice one day, and... Um, we had a good team, you know. We had Kobe and Andrew Bynum and Pat. You guys um, were in the PTB that year, right? Didn't you? Yeah, we were. We were good. Run our tests. We had Meta, and uh, I had gotten to be real close with with Coach Messina, who's now back in Europe coaching in Milan, but who was assistant with the Spurs for you know a number of years recently. We're in practice, and he kind of bumps me and goes, "Quinn, what?" Because I talked about I was kind of I had a romantic vision of, of Europe, you know, and, and had really followed the early. And there was a lot of stuff that I felt like didn't make its way across the water. Right. Except maybe, you know, Olympic years, everybody would start watching, but you could learn so much from 
whether it was Finland or, you know, you're in Barcelona, you're watching all these teams. And he hits me, he goes, Quinn, what do you think about going to Russia? And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? Like, going to Russia? And he goes, well, you know, because he was on like a, a sabbatical. Right. And he said, well, yeah, you just come over and you can be my assistant. And, you know, his mom happened to be um, in poor health at that point. So, I, you know, I've got to go to Italy and see my mom and you can coach the team while I'm gone. And I looked at him like, and it blew me away. I started, you know, I don't know if I was refing or doing something and I'm running up and down the court going, did he just ask me to go to Moscow with him in the middle of practice? You, you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> oh, my goodness, Mark. So I, I finally just said, all right, stop. You know, like, let's talk about this later. <laughs> this isn't the right time. But I did. I ended up going. And it was um, – yeah. I can remember trying to make that decision and calling Mitch Kupchak and, you know – explaining it to him and he was unbelievable as far as you know the advice that he gave me and talking to coach pop and i was going over there there's a sense that you know you're gonna they're gonna forget about you you know you've worked hard to get to the nba and you're you know you're building a career as an assistant and then you disappear to, to russia yeah. and there was you know i was worried are you gonna be able to make it back you know i had a great job with the lakers and um, but I'm really glad I did it. And I think as much as anything to kind of circle all the way back to um, your initial question was I, I, I've been with great people all the way along the line. Right. And, you know, whether it's Darvin Ham that we were assistants together um, in L.A. or, you know, Bud in Atlanta, um, what we kind of been through together dating back to, to San Antonio. Um, I mentioned R.C., you know, and Pop, Ettore, um, you know, I've I, I I been really fortunate to be able to be around people that I've been able to really learn from. Right. And no, I did not realize that, you know, Chesco Moscow, they had a pretty big time budget. They were one of the top and still are one of the top EuroLeague programs. So it, yeah. uh, it wasn't really a uh, maybe the lateral move that some people might have perceived it to be because that's a very elite program and team over there in Europe. Yeah, it's, you know, you try, when you try to explain it to people, it's, you know, we're all familiar more with, you know, with European football. Right. And it's the Bar Barcelona and Real Madrid. And, um, but the, that EuroLeague, um, we, were, we were one of the few teams, actually, that, that flew everywhere privately. And, and fortunately, you had to, because when you're in Russia, in Moscow, you forget how big a country that is. Yeah. And I mean, we flew, we played places I, you know, Vladivostok is, you know, like I was, it was blowing my mind. We're, we're playing basically in Korea. And <laughs> I'm flying to Vladivostok and then flying back to Moscow and then flying back to Florida because my son is being born. And it, 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 there was so many rich experiences. And but to your point, this was the first class club, you know, and, um, you know, Trey Langdon, who's a close friend of mine who's in New Orleans now, David Vanderpool, who's an assistant in Minnesota. There's a lot of guys that, that had been through there as players and coaches and um, really fortunate for me to have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, I, I want to back up a little bit. You touched on it, the uh, the time that you spent at Missouri. I don't know if you remember this, but I did one of your games uh, when you were at Missouri with Steve Lavin at the time, who was my color analyst. Yeah. I remember being at one of your practices – and you explaining to me that with your players and your player development program, 
that you basically had a catalog of different NBA players one-on-one -on -one moves and that you know you you would teach your players the Iverson crossover or the you know the uh, the so-and-so spin move or the so-and-so through the legs and the hardaway through the legs and crossover and I thought about that at the time and that was really at that moment it was ahead of the game a lot in, in terms of the player development at the college level because having done many different NCAA games, I had never heard an, uh, an NCAA coach embrace uh, NBA terminology and embrace NBA uh, player development in the way that you right. saw. And um, I'm thinking that probably, you know, that, that helped you along, the, along the, your road. It was really a, it was a passion of mine, you know. Um, I think beginning when I was an assistant at Duke with, I mentioned Elton Brand and uh, Corey McGett. We had some some terrific players um, that came through there. And, and to me, the, the interesting thing, it gets back to the players teaching you. Right. Um, that when you watch the game, really as coaches, you observe players. You know, they may not be able to tell you, you know, exactly. I, I think Steve Smith can tell you when he – you know, he shakes his shoulders, but you know, I remember showing Keon dueling that. <laughs> right. Keon started to he didn't do it on the baseline. He did it in midcourt. Um, but there was, we tried to name stuff, whether it was a player's name, um, and we still do that. I, I think it allows you to communicate. But um, I, I think for college players or players, any any player that's trying to get better, um, for them to be able to see themselves improving and watching other guys and trying to emulate them. And, for us coaches, if, you know, we used to talk about if you can name it, you can teach it. Right. So we'd look at something and try to break it down and give it a name where we can communicate it and then continue to try to teach it. But that's something we tried to pat ourselves in as a program. We wanted it to be, you know, our calling card. And uh, I'm glad you remember that, that yeah. the La Lavin, Lavin was there. He, he, he was – I think that was – after he had been coaching at UCLA when he got into Broadway. I'll tell you a funny story. After UCLA won the national championship, and this is right when I got into coaching at Duke. I had just finished grad school, and there was an opening at Duke because Mike Bray had left, um, now the coach at Notre Dame. And Steve knew Coach K through Coach Katie and some other people, and Steve flew in to Durham. Um, to talk to coach about a job on our staff at Duke. And I had not, I had not been hired yet. Um, I kind of had an idea that, that I was going to get a job, but I didn't know which one. And I, it was like a recruiting trip for, for Steve. Like I was his host. <laughs> I came up from the airport. We went to the baseball game. We go to pizza, I drop him at coach K's house. We come back. I kept thinking, I said, why, why is, why am I, wow. I want his job. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, along the line, right? <laughs> yeah, man. It, it was vintage Coach K, though. He was seeing how I'd react to it, you know, testing me. And Steve obviously went back to UCLA and, and did great. But it's um, that yeah. that that time at Missouri was really a special time for me in a lot of ways, and challenging in some other ways. Right. But hey, man, you you talk about your experience at Duke. You came out of there with a degree, a law degree, a business degree. You are Degreed and pedigreed, and that helps you, you know, make your way around the world. Um, here on the Basketball Jones Quinn, we like to take things beyond the 94 by 50 feet. 
Yeah. When, when, you, when you look at being able to travel internationally and you're a Seattle guy initially, uh, a, a city that, you know, is very rich in, in culture and diversity, food, um, theater, uh, the arts, music. Um, tell, tell us about some of your, your favorite Seattle things. You're a Mercer Island guy. And uh, let, let, let's start with uh, what, what's your favorite? I got to ask you about coffee. Is it, yeah. I'd be disappointed if you say Starbucks because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an East Coast guy and I kind of feel like Starbucks is kind of like the ordinary brand. What, what are your Starbucks is good in the airport. Star, Starbucks is good when you're in the airport and you want to have something consistent, right? Okay. And, uh, the, the, um, you know, this is an opportunity for me to, to, to plug my, my brother. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a specialty food store which also has a cafe. Um, right on first in Pike, right at Pike, Pike Place Market, and, and the name of the store is De Laurenti. I should be wearing a De Laurenti t-shirt instead hey. of the Albert Hall Pass, some of the... We'll spread um, the word. There you go. So he's, he started out um, managing a couple cafes, of, 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 a, a cafe called Corazione Italia, and eventually there was a, there was a cafe right in Pioneer Square. So that, that, that's the bar for me that cafe but now um he's no longer there he's got his own his own store in fact they've been they've been doing a lot of business online because the cafes had to the stores had to close down for a while now but that would be in fact i've got the uh, the italian deruta right here that they used to serve so part of the experience right yeah i mean culture god man culture mercer island washington um now We'll get into the pickup game scene in in Washington in in Seattle because I've been out there once and guys have taken me to different places. So tell me if you're an out of towner, you know you're a you know you're just a dude looking to hoop a little bit. Um, the three favorite spots that one of, one of the spots I'm where I went to once was was Green Lake. Okay, so. Uh -huh. We're, we're, three top places I'm told are Green Lake, IMA, and Seattle U. How does that line up with where the real ballers go in Seattle? That's that's a pretty good lineup, you know. And the IMA down in Washington, you know, the, the, that's there's always great great runs there. Um, you know, I, I, my mom grew up right around Green Lake. So I can remember um, when I was really little, going up and watching guys play there. To the point where you know I'm watching at that point, but you know the outdoor courts there always have a little bit of flavor, right? Depending on whether it's Seattle if it's raining or not. Right. Um, I'd probably be partial to Seattle U. Okay. Um, we used to play summer league there, and uh, it flipped between BCC Bellevue Community College and Seattle U. Um, but oh, you, you you hit the spots. I haven't played there in a long time. Um, growing up on Mercer Island, we always had to overcome suburban stigma. <laughs> uh, we try to go down in the city and uh, joke around about that, but it's been fun for me. a lot of those guys from Seattle. But I, I know Jason's here a little bit, and, and Jamal Crawford, and Aaron Brooks, and a lot of those guys. I don't know Brandon Roy, but when I left, um, there you go, right there. Um, Doug Christie from Rainier Beach. He was one of the early ones. These guys all—they have no idea who I am. Um, but early on. We were trying to. Uh, this is before Seattle really, really blew up when I when I was there. 
but it, um, it's been fun to see that city. Marvin Williams is from Bremerton. Right. Um, a lot of those guys. Martel Webster um, went to Seattle Prep. Uh, so I, I know a bunch of those guys that, Garfield that played there. Cool, right, Rainier, yeah. Now, yeah, DeJounte Murray from, 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 from Beach right there. And, right. Uh, like now, I said. You mentioned having to overcome a little bit of that, quote, unquote, suburban stigma. But I know yeah. you're doing that because you're, you're, you're very modest. But I have a friend out there who used to run a lot at, um, mm -hmm. at, at Green Lake and tells me a story about you and four of your Mercer Island teammates, <laughs> suburban <laughs> coming across the bridge. Yes, sir. And, and they were like, hey, what are these guys doing? And, and you guys came in and ran the court like four or five games in a row. And we had, we had some, remember anything along those lines? Yeah, there was a few guys, this guy named Keith Henry that, that played at Chief Delph and Johnny Merritt Briggs, who was at Garfield, the guy named Craig Murray at Garfield. We had a lot of the guys that were from the city. We were, like you said, across the bridge, so it was nothing for me to, to go into Seattle and play. And, um, I used to enjoy that, you know, like especially as – you know, guys were always really welcoming, and we had a great group. I mean, everybody just appreciated it if you, you like to play. And uh, so it was it was fun to go in there. We had a pretty good team, so we had a little respect um, right. back in the day. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, th that was something I really enjoyed. And guys would, you know, come over to Mercer Island. We didn't have quite the outdoor runs, but the, uh, the open gym during the fall was always pretty good at Mercer Island, so those guys would come over and, um, that, nothing better as far as relationships and crossing cultural lines and the game is so is so great gracious to all of us whether it be Russia or you know Seattle or Atlanta or LA it's just it's um, we're lucky in that regard. We saw some of the great players, uh, the lineage of players that comes out of the Seattle area. Um, when you look at the signature or the the trademark of a Seattle basketball player. What would you What would you say it is? You know, New York kind of has a, a reputation for having guys with handles. Chicago, uh, yeah. you know, Detroit jump shooters. Uh, what, what is the Seattle brand in terms of a Seattle basketball player? Well, for me, I, I'm because I'm an old head. I can I can sit back and kind of observe. And, and I, it's a little It's a little more subtle. I, I think guys know how to play. Right. You know, they just know how to play and they play the right way. And, you know, guys, and when I say that, um, you know, talent players, for sure, they want to win. And, you know, that doesn't mean sometimes, you know, not shooting is being selfish if you can score. You know, no one's ever told Jamal not to shoot the ball. Right. Um, but, you know, th those guys want to win. And I think guys are willing to be a part of the team, you know, I, I think some of the individual stuff, and I think that's why guys are proud of being from the, the city, you know, even that is kind of a collective thing. It's not, you know, one guy that stands out. It's like, there's a lot of pride to talk about being from Seattle now, more than I hear guys talk about, you know, being from Chicago or LA. I mean, it's, it's kind of a select group. And I think there's that kind of collective mindset that, and, you know, making the right play at the right time, giving up the ball, playing defense, getting a stop, um, all those things that you associate with winning basketball. I think that that city and those players that we're talking about, you know, embody that. Yeah, I see that. And, you know, you come from very 
good athletic lineage. Your, your father was a baseball player and had a very esteemed ba- uh, baseball career. What, what kind of influence did he have on you in terms of your athletic career coming up in Seattle? I think more than anything, taught how to compete. And, you know, it didn't matter what, you know, I played everything growing up until I got to high school. My high school coach, uh, Ed Peppel, who's one of the all-time, all-time winningest coach in in Washington State, but he started like a summer league and a fall league. So that that kind of trapped you playing basketball, which was okay with me at that point. Um, But, yeah, I, I think... My dad coached baseball for a number of years, and you know I didn't remember him as a player, but I remember him as a coach. And I think for me, you know, I found an old. He passed away this this past year, and, and you know during his services, my brother and I were going through a lot of old things, and he actually had a lot of players that he had coached um, wow. that came to the funeral and the service and everything. And it was really neat to reconnect with those guys because I can remember being like six years old hanging out in the dugout. Uh, but we got our hands on some old practice plans, and it was pretty cool to see, you know, the level of organization, you know, the detail. And I remember him being tough. You know, he was demanding. And I think that that competitiveness, um, you know, no matter what you were doing, what sport you were playing, you know, just the attention to detail, whether, you know, I can't tell you how many times I was raking leaves when it was dark because I forgot a couple or you know, cleaning the car, and, you know, but there was a, there was a level, um, you know, that was expected in, in the smallest things. And, you know, you begin to embrace that, you know, as a, as a person. And, um, you know, that, that, that's what I remember as much as him teaching me how to shoot or hit a baseball or do anything like that. It was just the competitiveness. Yeah. You mentioned competitiveness and that brings me to another, another topic. I wanted to chop it up with you. Um, Kobe Bryant, um, you coached him, you coached against him. Uh, he's, he's transitioned. He left us much too soon um, yeah. back in January. But um, do you have a favorite Kobe Bryant story or a time that you remember being really uh, kind of moved by his talent or his, his spirit, his competitive will? Yeah, there's, you know, I, I there was some people that knew Kobe longer and better than me, but I think like yourself and many others, um, he had a way of making an indelible impression. And regardless of how, you know, what the context was when you were with him, um, he, he could impact you. And, you know, early on before I was, you know, I, I knew him tangentially. And when I got to the Lakers, I can remember we had a drill and Mike, I had to hold the ball in the, in the middle of the drill, and there's four guys around you, and you kind of show the ball, and then go in and try to steal it from you. And I made some comment, you know, or he made some comment about Duke, and I said something back or whatever. And the next, you know, it, it was just, I figured, you know, we're just talking, whatever. Next time I had the ball, he took his arm and just cracked me right over the forearm. And I thought he broke my forearm. And I was like, oh, my God, this is – Wow. So, okay, that gave, that gave me a little bit of perspective. And then, you know, one of the – I was lucky because he was, he was out for a few games, and he, he wanted to sit with the coaching staff. And I was positioned in the last seat, and he would sit next to me. 
And that's where we really kind of started to connect because we watched the game and um, talked during the game. And uh, it was that, that – I think that being able to pick his brain on basketball and get to know each other in a professional sense. And then as the year went on and, and later on, you know, I can remember, you know, talking about old movies and he's banging out like Elizabeth Taylor and Cleopatra and all this really? stuff. Wow. You start to realize this guy got a, a perspective on life that, um, you know, is, is much broader than, than just basketball. It, our last, uh, his last game was against the Jacks. And you may have, I think one of those clips was up there. You know, I think it was 61 he had. Right. And I can remember, you know, and I was talking to our staff before the game. I was like, we're going to double you every possession and get it out of your hands and you're not going to. He's like, go ahead. <laughs> um, we didn't double team him because I, it didn't, there was, you know, that wasn't, we weren't, if one, we, it wouldn't have mattered. But it also wasn't. It just didn't. It wasn't the right thing. And he must have scored, I think, fourteen points in the last three minutes, and you know, had that game. And it was um, on a weird level. I was happy that a guy scored sixty against sure. the team that I was coaching. So we did it. We um, did. It. Yeah. Um, actually, w when we were in the playoffs a few years ago, um, we were playing the Clippers, and. I can remember because we, you know, we didn't talk all the time, but I text every now and then. Um, he had all kinds of. I don't think he was a huge fan of the Clippers, Mark. So <laughs> I get he it. had he had some ideas about how we should guard those guys, which was always fun. So crazy, crazy man. He was uh, a guy that gave us so much joy on the basketball court, and um, uh, as I said, left us a little bit too soon. You know, I, I want to jump around a little bit, Quinn, and, and get back to one more thing that uh, you know that really is at your roots being from uh, Seattle. Uh, Seattle's a, got a very kind of eclectic uh, music scene that I've always been impressed with. And, uh, you know, I want to ask you just a, a pop question. When, when you hit play on your playlist right now, what song comes up? You think well, you know, my brother's pretty good friends with um, Jeff Amen, who's the bass player from, from Pearl Jam. And uh, that really through Brent Berry, who um, is friends with those guys. But to your point, I think um, it is an eclectic scene, and there's um, a lot of crossover between. I mean, in some ways, um, sport to me is a little bit like art. You know, it's it's kind of living art. And there's, I think, people that, um, you know, you as much as anybody, you see how teams are molded and how players you know, have a – have artistic kind of um, affinities for the way sure. they play and the things they do. So um, I've been lucky in that regard that, um, you know, a city like that, you're exposed to so many different things. Yeah, that, that's a great one. And I, I think about, you know, from the Kurt Cobain, uh, you know, sure. era that kind of brought me back to the, you know, the last dance that, that kind of jarred that memory and Pearl Jam. Yeah. You know, Sir Mix a lot now. Macklemore holds it down pretty good in terms of uh, a little bit of a, a nice hip hop vibe for me. But just want to move on to um, what would you say to young players right now um, in terms of giving them advice, trying to make it in the NBA, even guys that you have on your team, and working through this really unique 
set of circumstances we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I think there's all kinds of different ways to, to get better. If you're um, talking about kind of being on your game, um, whatever the kind of the social constraints we're dealing with right now, if, you know, as, as, as guys think about, you know, preparation and things like that, I, I would kind of go away from that. And, you know, I, I think this is a time some of the best best players are the guys that have the most perspective. Mm. And when I say that, um, basketball can be the most important thing for you when you're playing and when you're not, um, you know, it can be in its proper place. And I think this time is really um, for those of us that, that miss the game and, and miss the playoffs and miss the league and miss the people. Um, we're in a situation now that's very different and, it's also laced with opportunity. And I think that, you know, as any, in any profession and particularly athletics, and in this case, basketball, you know, it's never, it's never an easy road. And, you know, we have an expression that growth isn't linear, that, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that, um, that you have to go through to get better. And, in some respects, I think the way that we deal with this and all the unknowns, um, those are lessons that, that you take with you. And that's the beauty, really, of sport, is that we're able to kind of live those things uh, metaphorically. And, you know, the, the perseverance and the persistence that, that's required to make it to the NBA. Um, you know, there's some guys that are just unbelievably gifted, but even, even those guys, they got to go through stuff, whatever the case may be. And that's all relative, you know, it's all relative. So, um, makes you appreciate, you know, the opportunities we do have in with sport, but it, to me, that really was one of the reasons that I got into coaching. And one of the reasons I got back into coaching is that I felt like, um, first I learned a lot about myself um, and some of those lessons that you, you embrace and then you apply, um, but not just on the court. You know, I think to the extent that, you know, I had, I made a promise to myself. I, I just would not compromise. Uh, that can mean a lot of different things without going into too much of that. I felt like to the extent that you get, you know, off kilter personally, um, that can take you the wrong way professionally. And sometimes the hardest decisions and the ones that um, seem to potentially be the least rewarding um, because they're made from kind of an authentic place and a place that you believe in um, end up allowing you to overcome the most. And those obstacles, I think, um, that's what that's about because we're all going to have this is a huge one for our entire society. Um, you know, we're living it in our own little slice of the world, um, but it's it's real, and uh, you know, hopefully, it's something that that we can take from it. Yeah, I think the uh, that's, those are great words, and uh, very insightful. I think the ability to really stay present, uh, be in the moment at all times, and be where your feet are at all times uh, will help us all. Yeah. Quinn, thanks a lot for joining us. Before we wrap it up. Yeah. Remind everybody that uh, the Sports Business Classroom will be coming up on Thursday. That's every Thursday. And on this week's show, we'll have the new look of broadcast. We'll contemplate what it might look like 
when we get back to the games and how and where they might be called. That plus pickup game featuring our guy Seth Greenberg. That's every Monday right here on the Hall Pass Network. Pickup game with Seth Greenberg, always a great cast of uh, guests and thoughts. So with that, we will say goodbye. And uh, Quinn Snyder, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks a million. We hope to have you again on the next edition soon on the Basketball Jones. I'm Mark Jones. We'll see you next week. Thank you.